Great to see you. Great to see you. That last song we just did, Miracles, that's on the new Jesus Culture album, and that whole album is amazing. So if you're looking to find that song, that's where it is. Happy April, by the way. Great to uh, welcome April. And uh, good morning, and uh, well, whatever time of day it is for those of you who are watching online, thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're with us as well. If you weren't here last Sunday, you missed one of the most epic Easter Sundays in our church's history, really. And um, that was so good. Uh, several people accepting Jesus. We baptized 22 people last Sunday. And uh, I know that's exciting. Very fun. Very exciting. I wanted to give you an update on our Easter offering. We were asking you to go over and above on Easter Sunday and help us catch up on our budget and help us finish our, our uh, the church year ends the end of April. We wanted to finish strong, and uh, wanted to give you an update on that. Last Sunday, you gave over $85,000, which is, which is really incredible. Don't stop now. Keep up the great work. Uh, we're all in this together. And a special thank you to those of you who are still giving to our building fund. The building fund would have, came out of, would have come out of uh, campaigns uh, initially when we built this facility. We're still paying this thing off. And uh, those of you who give weekly or monthly to the building fund, that's a huge help. And I wanted to thank you. You know who you are. Uh, we definitely have lots of mortgage left on this sucker. And... Um, I mean that affectionately, and, uh, and uh, lots of mortgage left, and I appreciate those of you who help out with that, um, and I want to thank everyone for catching the Easter vision the way that you did. Uh, our youth ministry had their biggest attendance in, in years, really, on their Hootenanny night. Uh, they had 150 out to that. Uh, the Bunny Blast had well over 2,000 people out. And uh, combined over Easter, we had over 4,000 people come out uh, to Moncton Weston, which is exciting. So I just want to thank you and say way to go. Great job. So we're in a new month and a new series. It's called East Coast Revival. You might have seen the billboard out on the outside of the church. Looks like that. Looks awesome. Revival is a word that, that God just keeps whispering to me over and over. I cannot get away from this word revival and God just keeps telling me not to take my foot off of that pedal. And so here we are. Uh, it's a very churchy word. You know, you probably don't use the word revival outside of the church context. When we use the word revival, this is, this is something along the lines of what we're talking about. A prolonged season of increased spiritual awakening, repentance, and renewal in the church that overflows with local, regional, and national Impact. That's kind of what we're talking about, a, a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit that draws people towards restoration and, and repentance and redemption. Historically, revivals have followed extended periods of moral decline. People who have been far from God uh, come back to God like, like, a, like a wave, like a flood, you know, hundreds or thousands of people coming back to God and, uh, and they're being revived uh, by God. Now, we don't play our name card around the Wesleyan Church very often. You hardly ever hear me use the word Wesleyan, but I will this morning because you, you do happen to be sitting in a Wesleyan church, by the way. And Wesleyan roots are revival roots. That's good to know. You need to know that. Like, our roots are in revival. We're, we are part of a revival mission that began in England 
in the 18th century with two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. And the revival that God stirred in those two brothers swept across England and beyond. And as the Wesleys, they preached and they sang about Jesus anywhere that they could. They would, they would find people in a barn and they would just start doing church. You know, they would have an open field uh, church. and They would just start preaching and singing and people would literally come uh, out, of the, out of the woodwork to hear these guys. They would preach in, in bars. They would preach in, in uh, houses. They would, they would show up uh, at coal mines and places where, where any, anywhere there was a crowd where people were working and they would just start doing church. And uh, Wesleyan revivals are credited with turning back the darkness of the 18th and 19th centuries and literally cleansing the moral fabric of England as people came to Christ and out of this out of their 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 renewed or their brand new relationship with Jesus Christ these people started to turn back the tide of sin in their communities and in their country and and they turned back the tide on the social injustices of the day when the revival tide comes in when revival tide comes in it washes over an entire region and it can wash over an entire nation. It was last summer at uh, Beulah Camp. Beulah Camp, uh, you can go to BeulahCamp.com. That's the camping ministry of the Wesleyans in Atlantic Canada and Maine. And it was uh, at our camp meetings last July when uh, one of the, the preachers, the evangelist, Mark Wilson, he's the pastor of a Wesleyan church in Wisconsin. And Mark was sharing about his travels to, to study the great revivals around the world. And Wales had an epic, Mark was telling us about this epic revival in Wales in the early 1900s. And he went there to talk to people and just to see the, these churches and these places where this, this revival began. And so long story short, Mark is in one of these churches of the Welsh, the great Welsh revival. And he's talking to a guy who's pushing a broom. And the guy with the broom tells him that it was one of his ancestors, one of uh, one of one of his ancestors who was like one of the original uh, preachers of this Welsh revival. And so they get talking, and, and the guy, the, the janitor guy, takes Mark, and he says, come with me. And he takes him out somewhere in the community to where there's just a, just a trickling stream. And he says to Mark, he says, you see this, this stream? He said, it, it is just a stream right now. But in a few hours, he says to Mark, the tide is going to come in, and this will no longer be a stream. This will be a, a rushing, flowing river. And then he said to Mark, he said, that's what we're praying God does in our churches. We want the tide of revival to come back in so that what is now is just a stream will once again be this flowing, rushing river of, of revival. And when Mark shared this at Beulah Camp last summer, it was just like he'd hit me between the eyes with a baseball bat. It's like just the Holy Spirit gripped me with the imagery of that. Because we have the highest tides in the world. You, you know this to be true. People come from all over the world to walk on the ocean floor and look at rock formations that look like flower pots. They come from all over the world to see the highest tides. What if the place, gang, what if the place with the highest tides in the world had the highest tide of God's revival. Now I think this is 
this is a useless random connection, but my ancestry is, is actually Welsh. And in studying the Welsh revival, I saw where they described one of their meetings as a hurricane. When they were talking about a church meeting, when they were writing about that, I've heard church meetings described in a lot of ways. <laughs> a lot of them non-flattering. But when the people came out of church that night, and they were talking about it and writing about it, they referred to it as a, as a, as a hurricane. And man, that just, that's good imagery for me. Here's another one. In 1984, uh, Dr. Cho, he, was the, he still is the pastor of the world's largest church in South Korea. And Dr. Cho was on a tour across Canada preaching in churches. And he spoke at Rock Church in Halifax. And Pastor Buckingham, my predecessor, and several of our Wesleyan pastors from the region were down to the Rock Church in Halifax to hear him speak. And in that meeting, Dr. Cho spoke of revival happening in Canada. And he said that the, the revival was going to start on the east coast of Canada. Now, some of you just find that mystical, and some of you find that, like, fascinating. And wherever you are between mystical and fascinating, I, I just want to say, come, Holy Spirit, we need you. That's, that's what I want to say. I'm not putting all my stock in Dr. Cho or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just connecting a few dots and saying, Lord, would you, would you come? You can't fabricate a revival. This is not something that you can conjure up. You, you, you can want it. You can pray for it. You can be open to it, but you cannot stir it up on your own. That's, that's emotionalism when we try to do that. And I, my prayer is that God would hear the collective cry of our hearts. That God would see a generation in Moncton who are ready. And if he responds, if he responds, we'll respond. So we're going to drop in this morning on a real revival that's happening in Acts chapter 4. The church is exploding. People are coming to Jesus and being baptized by the thousands. And the traditional religious authorities, the same people, the very same people who sent Jesus to the cross, they, they don't know what to do with this. It's a, it's, a, it's a tidal flood that's happening. It's a total outpouring. And I want us to see how the church responds. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 4. And going to begin reading this morning with the first 12 verses. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. Many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. It's exploding. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. It's the who's who. They brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, and notice this, then Peter, and Luke says, when he's writing about Peter, says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? 
Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, Peter says. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Okay, back to verse 2. In their season of revival... Peter and John are on fire. They're unstoppable. They're preaching hope. And it's not much different from the day and age that you and I live in because people then were desperate for hope and people now are desperate for hope. I don't know where I saw this. I can't remember where I saw this, but I recently heard or read or saw someone speaking about uh, the church. And the way that they referred to the church is they said, we're dealers in hope. And, and I just like the, the, that expression, the, the imagery of that. Yeah, Sunday mornings, you know, 1030 at Moncton Westland, we're dealers in hope. Barnabas, um, Barnabas doesn't, doesn't emerge in the story until the end of the chapter. It's too, it's too, if, it's too bad because if Barnabas was here at the front end of the story, every time I wanted to say uh, Peter, Barnabas, and John, I could shorten it, just say PB and J. But some of you got that. It's okay. So Peter and John are telling everyone there is more to this life than just trying to get by and survive. There is hope in Jesus Christ that God has more for your life. You were created for more. And because Jesus rose from the dead, you can too. Death has no hold on you. Eternity is real, Peter is preaching. Heaven is real. You can spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And this message of hope, it's amazing. Like, like this is the best news anybody has ever heard, but it's, it's threatening to the, to the ruling group. Uh, the, 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 the religious elite are threatened by this. The Sadducees are threatened because they, they want to protect their traditions. You know, I'm sure that none of us have ever experienced people in the church wanting to protect their traditions. But they want to protect their traditions. And they want, you know, just... just Keep some kind of, of peace with, with Rome, you know? Like, don't, don't, don't get this big Jesus movement going and tick off Rome. Like, we don't want to tick off Rome. Just, can we just be quiet? Just do the dance with Rome. Don't get too excited. Lay low. Don't rock the boat. And they're worried because if the, if the Jesus movement goes viral, Rome will probably go brutal, and, and they don't want this to happen. Now, history has taught us that you cannot shut down Jesus. You can't shut down Jesus. You, you, can't, you cannot ever extinguish the Jesus flame. It doesn't go out. And, and, and we've seen rulers and countries and dictators over, the, the, over history. We've, we've seen them try to run Christians out and burn Christians out and, and kill them all off. And you just you can't do it. You just, you just can't do it. You can't shut down down Jesus. Every time you rock the boat, Jesus shows up. Every time. 
And you cannot stop his church. And Peter knows this than anyone because Peter had Jesus in his face telling him that he would build his church and all the powers of hell would never be able to conquer it. So, so Peter's got those words ringing in his head. I mean, it's, he's got nothing to be afraid of. He knows that, that God moves where he wants to move. He shows up where he wants to show up. God doesn't need it to be convenient. He doesn't need to be cautious. He doesn't need to be careful. He doesn't need to be politically correct when God wants to, there to be a movement. If he wants thousands of people to come to Jesus Christ, if he wants thousands to be baptized, he just shows up. And so Peter and John are, are, are uh, arrested and incarcerated overnight. And the next morning they're brought in before the ruling religious council. Now picture this if you can. The, the high priest in the, in the center... There's, 70, there's 71 people in the room. So you've got the high priest in the center of the room. And in a horseshoe pattern, you've got 35 men going that way. Grumpy, cranky men. 35 of them that way. And 35 of them this way. So they're, this council, they want to face each other so they can, they can you know, pick up on everybody else's scowl and, you know, and read, read each other so that they can you know, know how to, uh, how to weigh in on things. And that's, they're brought into the 71-member council. And Luke mentions all the heavy hitters are there. He says uh, Caiaphas is there. You remember Caiaphas from, from last week? He says that Annas was there. Annas was Caiaphas's father-in-law, and he was like high priest emeritus. He, he had been high priest, but right now Caiaphas is high priest, and so they, they brought him into either the, either they brought him in to be the clout, or he thought I'm not missing this one, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going this morning, and he's a big gun, and these guys all think that that there's something that they've got the power. They thought that they took care of Jesus. They thought they did, and now they're going to step on two of Jesus' key followers. They're going to step on them like they're they're bugs. Now, now in our day and age, you you never hear the words Caiaphas and Annas. You name your kids Peter and John. They thought they had all the power, but God, God fooled them. They're just footnotes in the story now. And they, they, they have this problem of not being able to find this, the, the dead body of Jesus. They can't produce the dead body because that, that, would, that would wipe the whole thing out. And miracles are happening. And thousands of people are coming to faith in the resurrected Jesus. The movement is getting traction. And these guys, they're desperate. And they're trying to shut it down before the whole thing goes viral. Back to verse 7. Let's, let's look at it again. Back to verse 7. So they bring in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? I want to focus on verse 8 especially. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter shows us something that we know to be true about revival. I think we're going to put this up on the screen. When revival tide comes in, can we go to that next slide? Do we have it? Mm, come on, come on, come on. We don't have it. When revival tide comes in, this is what Peter uh, shows us to be true about revival. 
When revival tide comes in, people live, operate, and respond under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Luke wants us to know when we're reading this that when Peter responds to these men, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. When revival tide comes in, church, Moncton Weston, we will live, operate, and respond under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can't be full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. You have to empty yourself if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How, how would this affect your conversations and your responses with, 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 uh, with your spouse, with your kids, with your employer, if this was you? might sound something like this. Then, then Joe, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to his boss. Or then Sue, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to her teenage child. You see, when we, when we pray for the Holy Spirit to rush in here like a flood, when we pray for a high tide of the Spirit of God, we're opening up every area of our lives to be saturated with the power and the influence of God. Revival has corporate effects, but it starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with personal change. When you pray for revival, pray for your own flood. Pray for your own flood. Say, Holy Spirit, pour flood over me. You know, rush into my life. Fill me up. Pray that you'll get swept up in God's current. Well, Peter is filled with boldness, and he's ready to proclaim Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, it's, so, it's so good. Now, back the truck up a little bit to Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. You know, I mean, wonder why, why was Peter so bold? Look at what Jesus told him earlier. This is Luke 12, verse 11 and 12. And when Jesus says to them, and when you are brought to trial in the synagogues, not if, Jesus says, when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Isn't that cool? Everybody say cool. That's cool. Now, Jesus, Jesus totally predicted this. He told them. There's going to be a time when, when you are going to be brought in before the rulers. And he, and he said to them, don't worry about what you're, what you're going to say. Peter's fire and, and, and the boldness that he has, it comes from his time with Jesus. And true for us, how much time are you spending with Jesus? It comes from the words of Jesus. It comes from his total unwavering belief in the resurrected Jesus. And so when Peter is, is pushed by this, he spills out the Holy Spirit because that's what he's full of. Whatever, whatever you're full of, whatever is in you, that's what's going to come out of you when life gives you, when life shoves you, when life pushes you. And when you know what Jesus has said to you, and when you know what Jesus has done for you, and you know what Jesus is doing in you, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Peter is, is uh, I mean, uh, he's just coming off of Pentecost, right? 
when God literally, literally blows the roof off the place and blows the windows off the place, and God literally fills them with his Holy Spirit. And Peter's been on, I mean, he's been on such a spiritual high. He's been, he's been preaching to great crowds, and he's been baptizing people by the thousands. And just, just before this chapter 4, he just saw Jesus heal a man who was, who was born crippled and had been that way for more than 40 years. And so Peter, in front of the council, he uses at least two of our core values here at Moncton Weston. He's bold and he's clear. And they ask him a question, and Peter sees an opportunity, and he answers their question with a mini-sermon. A little, gives him a little, a little sermon. He's not going to miss his opportunity to, to proclaim Jesus. Now, this is a different Peter. If you remember, before the resurrection, it was denial Peter. It was, hey, you, aren't you one of, one of his disciples? And Peter's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And somebody else said, hey, you, weren't you with Jesus? He says, I, I don't even know the guy. Hey, you, a third time. And Peter says, would you stop already? I'm not, I don't even know him. So before the resurrection, he's denial Peter. But now he's, he's, a, he's a changed man because after you have your encounter with the resurrected Jesus, you are forever changed. You're a different person. Jesus changes everything. So in verse 10, Peter points to Jesus. He says, you're wondering how we did this? You want to know about this? He said, verse 10, he says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that that man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. No other name. Hear me this morning. The answer to your brokenness is Jesus. The answer to your brokenness is Jesus. You might need some counseling. We believe in counseling. Counseling is good. You might need medication. We believe in medication. We're thankful for it. That's good. But at the very core, at the very source of your pain and your brokenness, what you need the most is more Jesus. If more people would speak the name of Jesus into their problems, Rather than take the name of Jesus because of their problems, there would be fewer problems. If you argue with your spouse more than you pray for your spouse, that's a problem. If you complain about your situation more than you pray for your situation, that's a problem. Peter quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, and right, right, right to their faces, and he says, hey, you guys... You guys are the builders who are, somebody needs to be prayed over, over back here somewhere. Lay hands and pray over. Okay, he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, and he says, You guys are the builders who are rejecting the chief cornerstone. You are the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. And then he uses like another one of our core values. He goes all invitational on them. And he says to them in verse 12, he says, salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is found. He's, he invites them to, to consider uh, trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. He says, salvation is found in no one else. The actual Greek translation of this means salvation is found in no one else. The Greek word for no one means no one. It's, it's Jesus. It's only Jesus. And this is, this, is the, this is the power of revival. This is the dynamo of revival. This is what starts our 
starts the, the tsunami of the Holy Spirit, building our lives and our testimony in our world and our witness in our church on the unshakable truth of Jesus Christ, being bold in our faith and clear in our teaching, inviting people to accept and believe on only one name, the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. Let's read some more. Verse 13. The members of the council were amazed. Isn't that awesome? They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. I'm from Graham and Ann. With no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What do we do with these dudes? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. We can't deny it. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, he's talking about bold. You think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everyone everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who'd been lame for more than 40 years with leprosy. Oh, back to verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. I might blow a gasket right here. Amazed at their boldness, seeing that they were ordinary, untrained theologians, but they, they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Come on. That, that, that the city of Moncton, that the province of New Brunswick, that the whole Atlantic region, that everybody would, would know, that they would recognize us as people who had been with Jesus. The man, who, the, the man who had been healed was standing, standing, right there in front of them. The man who was born crippled. The man who had to be carried out every day to, to, a, to a, a public spot where he could beg for, for, for money, uh, this guy, oh, that our, that our city would see our boldness for Jesus, not in a pushy way, not in an argumentative way, not in a way that is obnoxious or turns people away from Jesus, but that people would see us being bold in our confidence of who Jesus is is bold in our stories of what God has done bold in our belief that Jesus is the risen son of God bold in our marriages that we will not let go down the drain bold in our prayers believing God in all things bold in our giving trusting God with our finances bold in our decisions taking risks for the kingdom of God bold in our witness inviting others to come and see bold in our worship giving God the glory that he deserves, bold in our attendance, coming into the house of the Lord with joy and gladness. They were, they were ordinary 
but they were bold. They were ordinary, but they were changed. They were ordinary, but they were filled with power. They were ordinary, but they were fully convinced. They were ordinary, but they were on fire with the Spirit of God. They were ordinary, but they were not afraid. They were ordinary, untrained, but bold. And it was evident to everyone who saw them that they had been with Jesus. Oh, Lord, may it be so in us, in our lives. If you've really, if, gang, if you've really, really, really been with Jesus, people should be able to tell. People should see it. There should be some evidence in your life. Don't forget to tell your face. The good things that God has done for you and you don't need to be shy about it and you don't need to back down about it and you don't need to hide about it. You can be, you can be bold and you can be excited of who God is and you just can't hide it because you've got Jesus in me and Jesus on me and Jesus around me and Jesus shining through me and you cannot hide the light of God and you cannot suppress the love of God. Revival happens when we've been with Jesus and the world is amazed. See, can't you picture Peter and John standing in front of this, this council, this, this, this power structure, this very intimidating group of, of religious leaders, these cranky old men with their long white beards. Can you picture Peter and John in front of them? And, and, and Luke tells us that they were amazed at the faith, the boldness of Peter and John. And they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I mean, does your spouse recognize you as someone who's been with Jesus? Do your kids recognize you as someone who's been with Jesus? Revival happens when we've been with Jesus and the world is amazed. The council, they're, they're doing everything they can do to, to deny Jesus. They wanted to convict Peter and John. They wanted to say that it wasn't true, but they couldn't. Why? Because a broken beggar was standing in front of them, fixed by the name of Jesus Christ. A broken beggar standing in front of them, fixed by the name of Jesus Christ. We are all broken beggars. We're all broken beggars. We're completely busted in our sin. We're desperate for healing. And if God has redeemed you, and if God has restored you, healed you, saved you, fixed you, fed you, whatever, you be sure to take your stand for Jesus Christ, to stand up for Jesus and be a living example of what God can do in someone's life. I'm like... Like, we want to deny it, but we can't because, because we all know that that guy's been carried out there for over 40 years, and there he is standing in front of us. They couldn't deny it. What God does in you and for you is not just about you. Someone needs to hear your story. They need to know what God is doing in your life. And, and sometimes you don't, you don't need to say anything. Just, just, just stand for Jesus. Just the presence of the fixed Broken beggar, it silences the accusers, and they don't know what to do. Now, fast forward, I want us to see this community of believers in verse 31, and then we're going we're gonna to land the plane. The seatbelt sign is on. Here we go. <clears throat> 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph... Uh, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, there he is finally, PB&J. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Verse 31 says the meeting place shook and they were filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. They had already been given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So what is this? What's going on now? Well, this, this is just God coming in with another wave. This is a fresh awakening. It's, it's a gift of God blessing them again with his presence, a renewed awareness and indwelling of the Spirit's power and presence in their lives. And it, it changed everything because Luke goes on to write, and he says about this group of believers, he says there was a, uh, a spirit of, of unity. They were united in heart and mind. They, they, they released all of their stuff, everything that they owned. Um, they shared all that they had. There was no needy people among them. And he says one guy, one guy, he even, he, he owned some property in, a, in another town, and he went and sold the property, and he took all the proceeds from the property, and he just gave it. To, to, to minister to the church. They had a transforming message. And they had transformed lives. They weren't just talking about who Jesus was or what Jesus did. They were living out what Jesus does. Do you see that? It's, it's a transformation message. God's, God's presence brings change. God's power brings healing. God's peace brings unity. When God's spirit shakes the room, God's people are transformed. And this new radical way of living, when you read it, it's just radical. Like they, they didn't own anything. Everybody just gave all of their stuff so that, so that there were no needs among them. This new radical way of living, it, it, was, it just made following Jesus so attractive. It was so countercultural. That it, it just, people wanted to be a part of it. It got noticed. Everyone talked about it. People were lining up for it. It's not only the best message we've ever heard. It's the best way to live. And it's attractive. Okay, we're going to worship together this morning, gang. And I, I encourage us as a church to, to lean into this idea of, of, of a revival tide coming into Atlanta, Canada. And don't, don't just pray corporately like, yeah, God, do this, but say, Lord, start with me. Start with me. I need my own personal revival. Mark is going to lead us in one of our favorite tunes, The Great I Am. And I would love, as we sing this, I would love for many of you to come out of your seats, maybe even come down from the balcony and join us here at the front of this church praying for personal and corporate revival that we might see in our time, in our generation. Lives, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of lives, radically changed and transformed by the power of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Let's, uh, let me pray, and then we're going to sing. And uh, let me pray. God, I just thank you, praise you, Lord, this morning. Thank you so much for the truth of your word and your spirit that is here right now. And so, God, as we lift this song to you, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come into individual lives as we fully surrender and say, Lord, have your way in my life. Help me to be spirit-filled. Empty me of myself. And Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I will I surrender, I will follow. Be with us now as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.